Lord Jesus, we pray at this time that you would speak in ways that we can hear. We ask that you would move in ways that we can respond to. And Lord, our heart's desire is to see that you are glorified in our midst. So be exalted in this place, be exalted in our lives, and be exalted in our world. For we pray this in your name, King Jesus. Amen. Please be seated. I love how that passage in John ends. These things were written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. I'm not preaching on the gospel today, unfortunately. So (laughs) today I want to talk about the need for us to live out our faith boldly. Because it's through boldness that Jesus is best proclaimed. Several years ago, um, when I was a chaplain at Ross A. Netherwood School, um, I don't know if I've told you this story before or not, but um, we were supposed to have our Christmas concert, our, our lessons and carol service at Our Lady of Perpetual Church, Roman Catholic Church, right? So it's, I don't know if you've ever been there in Ross A. It's a gorgeous church, and it's a place that RNS goes to every year for the service. And I showed up early with two of my chapel assistants, two grade 12 students. And we got to the church, we were the first ones there, and the door was locked. And like we had like 400 people coming to this service, so we were starting to panic a bit. And the grade 12 students well said, well, Rev, I guess we're not having the service this year. <clears throat> and I said, no, 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 because it says in the Bible, knock and the door will be opened unto you. So we're going to knock, and let's pray. So I, I led them in prayer, and they're rolling their eyes at me like pretty major, right? Here we go, you know. And, and so I prayed, Lord Jesus, we need to get in this building. You said in your word that if we knock, it will open. So open the door. So amen. We went to the door. It didn't open. <laughs> Banged on the door. It didn't open. So I said, boys, you go around the church this way, I'm going to go this way, and somewhere we're going to find an open door. And they said, no, it's, it's, it's hopeless, Rev. Like, just do it. So off they went, and I went the other way thinking, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, open the door, open the door. I went to this door, that door, and same thing. I get to the last door around the back near the basement, and I said, okay, Jesus, this is a real opportunity for you to show how you answer prayer. So uh, please, please, please open this door. And I reached out and I grabbed the handle and I pulled and it opened. And in my excitement, I ran inside. I'm like, thank you, Jesus. This is great. The door shuts. I'm in pitch black <laughs> corridor I've never been in before. So the rest of the time, I'm like, ah, ah. My word is a lamp unto my feet. No, I've made my way up the stairwell, opened the door, and there are my chaplain and assistants looking at me like. And I said, God answers prayer. That was a bold prayer. In the passage in Acts, just before the passage we read, the disciples are like the apostles are going through some hard things and they pray that God will give them boldness to preach the good news. The good news that Jesus is alive and because of that 
There's a new age coming. It is the kingdom of God. It is where God is reigning. And they do it. But in the passage we read, they're living the gospel boldly. They're experiencing unity unlike the world had ever known. And they were living out their faith boldly. And so I know that, that when we talk about unity in the church, it's often hard for us to picture what that looks like because we have a lot of examples of disunity. We have a lot of examples of schism, even within the Anglican church. It has not been a fun few decades, right? And we've got to be honest and repent of the fact that we have not treated our brothers and sisters well. doesn't matter what your point of view is. We haven't done well. But when we look at Acts, <clears throat> excuse me, when we look at Acts and we see that there is this, this community that is one in heart and mind, doesn't that get you excited? I, I see this, and I don't, if you have never done this, take some time and read through Acts chapter, like from the beginning to the end in one sitting. Because it's a great read. It's really exciting. And you get to see all of this stuff in its context. But here they are and we see they're one in heart and mind. Isn't that what Jesus prayed in John chapter 17? Father, that they would be one with you as you are one with me and I am one with you. May they be one together. Unity. But here's the mystery with unity. Actually, it's a mystery with unity and peace and joy and generosity. It's unity with all of the fruit of the Spirit. If we pursue the fruit of the Spirit first, we won't get it. If we pursue unity as an end in itself, we won't get it. Do you know what we do get? Uniformity. Where if you do not agree with the, or toe the party line, you're dismissed. And I don't know about you, but in my ministry, in my life as a Christian, when I have a point of view that doesn't line up with someone else's, I am labeled and I am dismissed. And I have to confess, too, that in the past, when I haven't agreed with someone, I have labeled them and I have dismissed them. Obviously, God couldn't work through that person. To really grasp unity, we need to have Jesus at the center. The center of our lives and the center of our church. Because here's here's the truth. You're all messed up. Oh, I am too. Okay, now I know, I am aware of areas of my life that don't line up with what Jesus wants for me. I'm aware of them. I'm convicted of them. I'm also aware that there are things in my life that God doesn't like that I have no clue about yet. But in his time, he's going to show me things that I probably won't like. And that's the the truth for all of us. Now, here's what I cling to. The grace of Jesus. To give me what I don't deserve. Love, acceptance, provision. I'm also depending on his mercy to not give me what I do deserve. Now, if I, if I depend on that for my life, why can't I depend on that for your lives? 
Why can't we have that kind of that experience where Jesus is enough for me and he's enough for you too? So if Jesus were in the middle of our, of our room here and we're all spread out from wherever we are, and we are, as we come to Jesus, as he is in the center, what happens is that we come closer to each other too. Now we'll pick up on things we don't like about each other, but we're not the one to write that person off. We're the one to say, Jesus, I thank you, your grace is sufficient for that person. That one that drives the Ford. No, sorry, no, no, it's not about, not about that. It's about, it's about having Jesus in the center, and that's where we can be honest with each other and say, I don't see scriptures this way, or I wrestle with this issue, or I'm really struggling with this. And we can say to each other, okay, we recognize that you haven't arrived yet. We haven't arrived yet either. But Jesus is enough, and so we welcome you, and we love you, and we want you to come further in. Let's go closer together. And then we can be honest with each other and open with each other, knowing that we're going to be held in the love of Jesus. That's how this community was one in heart and mind because Jesus was in the center for them all. have unity to experience peace Jesus must be our common focus and growing in him has got to be our common endeavor now one of the distracting things in this passage and I'm going to be a little ageist here it's not an issue for me because I'm young (laughs) right you know the cold war for me was just like a weird notion a lot of you lived through that fear But some people look at this passage and they say, this is just an early form of communism. And that's a bad thing, right? I'm just like, eh, communism. But it's not. Communism was when the state sort of takes over, steps in and says, no one can have private property and this is how you're going to live. The apostles did not do that. But there was something happening here where they were so excited about Jesus and about this new way of living that they were able to say, hey, I have more than I need and my brother and my sister is in need, so I'm going to sell this and here, use the money where it's needed most. I used to read Acts and I'd be so excited. I'm like, yes, let's all like tear down our houses and build a commune someplace in the woods. But that's a misreading of the passage. There is nowhere that says that we're supposed to get rid of our our possessions, but we are called to be generous with what the Lord has blessed us with. Um, I used to get really angry. The 39 articles are one of those documents in the prayer book that sort of say this is what it means to be an Anglican. And the 38th article states, page 714 in the prayer book, The riches and goods of Christians are not common as touching the right title and possession of the same as certainly about to do falsely protest. Sorry, notwithstanding, everyone ought to of such things as they possess to liberally give alms and pour according to their ability. Now, I used to think, man, that is dumping cold water on the, the wildfire of the gospel. But when you think about it, What if the church said, no, everybody has to hold their goods in common? That becomes communism. And it takes away the heart 
of generosity. It takes away Jesus and puts the law in place. And we all know where legalism gets us, right? So I'm really glad now that I'm an Anglican for the first time ever because of Article 38. <laughs> no. When Jesus is removed from the center, all kinds of harmful things can happen. But when we are pursuing Jesus together and he has, we recognize that everything that we possess, everything that we experience is actually a gift from the Lord and we can return it to him, what does that say to us? In verse 34 of Acts, it says that there was no needy person among them. And when we read this, we should remember what God had wanted to set up in Torah, right? That there would be this beautiful society under his reign, but the problem is that we, they turned it into just a law. They forgot the spirit behind it. And so in, in Deuteronomy 15, 4 uh, to 11, some verses from there say, there need be no poor, among, more pe poor people among you, for the land the Lord your God is giving you to possess as your inheritance, he will richly bless you with. If only you fully obey the Lord your God and are careful to follow all these commands I'm giving you today. And then later on it says, If anyone is poor among your fellow Israelites in any of the towns or the land your God is giving you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted toward them. Rather be open-handed and freely lend them whatever you need. Right? Then it goes on with more regulations and more regulations. The problem with the law being in the center is that instead of following it graciously, what we as people tend to do is, what does that mean exactly? And really, what's the least amount I have to do in order to be you know, a good person? What's the least amount? When Jesus is in the center, it's not about the things. It's not about defining the terms. It's simply saying, Jesus, how would you live if you were me? When I see this person in need, what would you, how would you respond? And how can I respond? And how will this extend your reign? It's all about what we're able to do because he lives. Another problem with this passage is that people think that it's too hard to live like that. You know, to live in unity, to hold things in common. Well, we kind of do that here when we tithe. And the, the, the offerings that come into this church, a lot of them go to feed people. Sometimes it goes to pay for medication or housing. We are doing it. Are we doing it with the mindset that we are actually participating in the reign of Jesus? That's the question because that's when there's joy and excitement when we do it. But there's also big things happening. When I was in St. John with working with Outflow, they had a need of money big time. They were at a crossroads that if they couldn't open up their homeless shelter unless they got X amount of money. And do you know what happened? A Christian businessman who was quite wealthy said, I was praying this morning and I am convicted to give you X amount of money. Same X. <laughs> and they were provided for. This is happening. Whenever you see clothing exchanges happening for parents and their young kids and they're giving and they're receiving, it's happening. Whenever we provide food for someone who's going through a hard time, it's happening. We are giving in the joy of Christ. This doesn't have to be a scary thing. To live boldly 
is to live in love with Jesus and allow it to spill over in your life. It's a very exciting thing that you don't need to to know the rule book for. Now, the last thing I want for us today is to go home from church and go into our houses and say, we have two TVs. I better give up one of those TVs and lay it at the apostles' feet, you know? (laughs) I don't want us to go into rooms and be extra critical of of how we're doing things because that's putting things in the center. I want us to go home and to praise Jesus and to pray that we would live boldly and that we would be free in our relationship with Jesus to live the way he wants us to live in relationship with him and with others. And rather than getting hung up on what those other people are doing or how they're living, to simply love them in the name of Jesus and love them closer to him. It breaks my heart when I hear, like in the media, how Christians are horrible, awful, judgmental, hypocritical people. It breaks my heart. Because Jesus did. He called it like it was. But he was shoulder to shoulder with people that no one else wanted to be even near because he loved them. I'm asking us to go home and not look at the things. I'm asking us to go home and to look to Jesus. And when we see our neighbors, to look at them in the name of Jesus and to relate to them in the name of Jesus. We're often consumed with getting people in here. Well, I gotta, I gotta tell you something that sitting in a room um, facing one direction for the most part, you only do that at the theater, right? And what we do here is not as exciting as what you see in the theater. The thing that makes this come alive is Jesus. The thing that people need to experience out there is Jesus. So let's not get discouraged by looking at the things. Let's get encouraged by focusing on Jesus. Because it's in Jesus that we find unity, peace, joyful generosity. It's in Jesus that we find provision for all things. But when we seek these things apart from Jesus, we'll find that they are fleeting and fragile indeed. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, give us boldness to proclaim the truth that you are alive, that a new day has dawned. Lord, give us boldness to live in joy, to live in relationship with you, to be focused on what you're doing in our communities, in our places of work, in our places of leisure. And Lord, our prayer is that you would so reign in us that people would be drawn to you in us. We ask this all in your name, King Jesus. Amen.